Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm joined today by our guest, Emma J. McKinnon Lee. She is the founder and CEO of Digital Lax, which is the first digital fashion project on Ethereum. And I'm super excited to talk to her all about NFTs, digital fashion, the metaverse, all things Web3. Uh, we've got a lot to cover in today's episode. So I'm just going to bring her on and let her talk a little bit more about what digital access and uh, let's chat about all of these topics. So hey, Emma Jane, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So before we dive into Digital Acts, your project right now, I'm curious a little bit about your background. So I know that you grew up in Australia, I think, and you've been pretty interested in technology and emerging tech since you were a small child. But uh, when was it that you first heard about crypto and blockchain technology? And what was it about it that got you excited and wanting to learn more? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a kind of very country town in Australia. It's called Lennox Head, it's right near Byron Bay, which is a big um, like kind of surfing culture town in Australia. And then I moved to Sydney when I was a bit older. But yeah, always loved technology side, particularly math, physics, science, um, these subjects. And then it would have been, I'm 22 now, but it would have been um, when I was about 15 or so or 16 that I first started hearing about crypto. And it was kind of just more, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and didn't really know too much about it. And then it was um, a few years on from that that I started becoming much more interested in it. And I actually did a number of kind of internships and um, work within the space. And as soon as I kind of involved myself in, wow, this is actually what Web3 is and this is what it means, I became so passionate and obsessed by it that I actually even dropped out of my space engineering school at University of Sydney to go into it full time. And that looked like myself co-founding and joining a hedge fund that operated out of Australia and Dubai and then also working really closely with the Dubai government to implement blockchain technology use cases throughout their whole region. So yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Okay, so that's insane that you've done all of this by age 22. Definitely makes me feel like I haven't done very much with my life at my age. But um, anyway, so you mentioned Web3, and I know this is something that you're really passionate about just from your Twitter and your Medium blog and just seeing the content you put out there. So how would you explain Web3 to somebody who maybe isn't familiar with what the concept is in an easy to understand way and in a way that maybe gets them excited about it, maybe like highlight some of the key features of Web3 that you're personally passionate about? Sure. It's the golden question as well. Like, how do you describe some of these things to, to people that have never heard about it before? And I think at a high level, Web3 is really, it's what the internet promised us, but it never delivered on. That's kind of why it's really exciting because it's able to um, enable value exchange or value transfer. But instead of the way that Web2 does it, which is very much like how do you actually lock value or kind of create these centralized extractive models where um, if you control the choke points of those value exchange kind of areas, then you end up gaining from that and everyone else 
really is, is losing out. But what Web3 does, it decentralizes that value exchange and it decentralizes those points of value exchange. Um, so instead of it being completely extractive, it's actually circulatory, it's actually generative. The exciting part is, is that anyone can be one of these value exchange nodes. All they have to do is have a Web3 device which is, you know, operating on, on all of our kind of hardware systems today. So yeah, I guess that's how I describe it. So what do you see as being some of the biggest roadblocks to widespread adoption of Web3? Like if it's so awesome, like why are we still stuck in our Web2 days and what's preventing us from moving forward into Web3? I guess there's two sides to that. I mean, of course, you could point it down to, well, you know, technological innovation. It's still there's in terms of onboarding, there are kind of a lot of caveats. It's not a seamless experience. Like you can't just quickly go, depending on, on your location geographically as well, you can't just quickly go, you know, into crypto, back to fiat and, and so on and so forth. And then even then, um, if you can, that, you know, experience itself, it isn't the best one because you're either kind of losing, you know, value in between those exchanges and um, it's not ubiquitous in where you can actually kind of have that utility of the crypto itself. But what I would kind of point more towards is, and it goes back to my point before, is that Web2 was very much built around an extractive model because that's what kind of made sense. If you, you control the choke points, then that's how you got the most value. And so it's kind of this idea of having, you know, tight centralized walled gardens and these larger companies, these larger brand studios, they are what dominate those choke points today and they, they lock all the value at the top. And so I guess that's really the bigger reason, um, whether that be more political or whatever, why there hasn't been that, you know, major push and adoption of Web3, because if Web3 is actually done right and it's, um, you know, implemented and executed on the way that it's meant to be, then those companies, they lose their control. They lose their choke points because now they don't have that anymore. They don't have that leverage. And so that's really what I believe it is the kind of biggest adoption point. And we even see it now with, you know, projects coming into the space in Web3. I mean, definitely we had DeFi summer last year and then kind of this NFT winter, spring, in a sense, rush. Even we see, you know, throughout those kind of two bigger rush in the industry, it's it's not so much that we've had kind of like the true decentralized projects coming in, but then we can also see that there's a lot of those kind of Web 2 in, in Web 3 sheep's clothing in a sense, that they're still trying to make the space not Web 3 native, or they're trying to still control a lot of that value, whether that be kind of having VCs in a sense, you know, locking kind of value in, in still a lot of their control or um, just coming into a way that is very heavily commercialized and it's not about, okay, how do I actually operate in a decentralized environment? Um, yeah, I guess they're the bigger choke points because for it to really work, there has to be loosening of the current control and, and yet yeah, centralized value locking. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about Digital X. So again, you guys are the first digital fashion protocol on the blockchain, which is pretty exciting. How did you come up with this idea since, you know, nobody else existed in the space when you guys were first formed? Like, how did this idea come to your head? And talk a little bit more about what Digital X is more holistically than the the one sentence descriptor that I gave in the beginning. So how it kind of came to mind as I said, I've always loved tech and, and kind of been in the, the left of field of things and, you know, loved kind of operating on the bleeding edge and discovering new things um, and loved the idea, you know, when I was a kid of, okay, how can I be an inventor when I grow up and, yeah, bring, bring you know, really great stuff forward. I had, you know, a lot of kind of involvement in the Web3 and, and blockchain crypto space, um, both from the financial side and then also heavy technology side. 
And um, it was really last year more so that I started looking into, okay, well, how does these Web3 or that, how does it actually intersect with different industries? And what could that actually look like moving forward? If we really were, what everyone's saying is, you know, operating on this decentralized layer, if that was actually to play out, then how would, would different industries be affected? And I became really interested in the gaming side of things and um, this idea of kind of virtual immersivity and, and virtual worlds and what that meant for our future. And within that, I started becoming more and more obsessed with fashion because my background as well has always sat really in between of that heavy science, math and physics, and then also very much the art side of things. I've always loved kind of being creative and fashion, it really, or digital fashion particularly, it really um, sits within that. And there was so much just about digital fashion that, that drew me to it when I was looking at the broader kind of field of fashion tech and, and how that would play out. Having my background in, you know, blockchain in a sense, I, of course, wanted to really find that crossover, how it would fit. And then it was just kind of, yeah, I, I can't really explain how it all came to mind, but it just started, all these ideas started popping up. And then um, it was about, okay, well, how can I break this down and actually execute on that? And what does that look like from a first iteration and then moving out forward? So how we did that with DigitalX, I founded it last year in September. And the first set of things was looking at, well, what would a distributed digital fashion supply chain actually look like? And um, how could that play out on, on the Ethereum blockchain? And so how we started with that was really looking at, well, the first stage is very much backing value behind these digital fashion goods because beforehand it was really, you know, designers just posting um, content to their Instagram or um, kind of art station and, and really working in like a freelance advertising stage. But I thought, well, you know, that can't really be the case going forward because if you really think about things and people actually being consumers and purchasing digital fashion, there has to be some proper value layer behind it and value actually underwriting it. So um, we set up a marketplace on the Ethereum blockchain, which was the first digital fashion marketplace. And we partnered with all these um, digital fashion designers globally based all over the world to launch the first digital fashion auction platform. That was really exciting. We've had about five auctions so far with over 600K in sales um, on both Ethereum and, and Matic Network, which we recently integrated with as well. And we started with that, but we introduced really interesting concepts like fractional garment ownership, which is all about how can you use um, NFT standards or ERC protocol standards to actually break down a master digital fashion garment into its individual ERC pattern material texture components. And what that means is um, a designer can come on our platform and they can actually issue an individual pattern material texture and that open sources as an ERC 1155 platform through our contracts. And another designer can actually come and take that pattern and use that within their master garment. But what that means from an on-chain perspective is it's incorporated as an ERC 998 variant standard, which means when the um, master ERC 721 garment is minted, it actually can own a collection of those ERC-1155 patterns, materials, and textures. So now when that's transferred around, it's, it's kind of transferred as a group. And from a monetization perspective, a licensing perspective, you can actually kind of have this whole composability and fractionalization of royalties, contributions throughout the, the entire supply chain. So that was um, pretty exciting and something that I definitely think is um, highly scalable when we think about moving forward. But that's the first stage of DigitalX. So I can kind of go into the next stages because that was really focused on more a cosmetic side. And we also introduced like DeFi staking components into the NFTs themselves. Then I guess when you look at, okay, which was really the perspective I was coming from was how do you actually grow this industry? How do you actually put fashion, the entire fashion industry on the blockchain and have that, you know, digital, I guess, seamless integration for, for the future when we think about where things are going. If that's the case, then just 
creating these cosmetic auctions, it, it really doesn't add any value. Or coming in, you know, as, as a brand perspective and saying, hey, we're going to launch this and okay, they look really pretty and they're creating, you know, immense value in one direction for the designers. That doesn't actually create an ecosystem that is required to um, create sustainable liquidity and just growth within, within, you know, onboarding new brands, studios, independent designers, consumers, developers, um, yeah, creating that critical mass of, of growth. So when it came to that side, well, the application utility is incredibly important because you have to have a way to drive that um, market demand and concentration into an actual application utility layer. And at the moment, gaming, VR, this idea of kind of the metaverse that keeps getting thrown around um, is very much where the application layer of digital fashion sits and even the hybrid digital fashion, uh, digital physical, sorry, fashion crossovers as well. So to really combat that, what it was looking at, you know, we it doesn't make sense for us to just go and knock on these Web2 gaming companies and say, hey, accept this NFTs, digital fashion into your, your platform. So it doesn't even make sense for us to kind of go to Decentraland or Sandbox and these other kind of closed ecosystems and yeah, try and integrate there as well. Because really the whole point was coming from the perspective of how do we actually grow an entire player creator economy and ecosystem that allows any designer, developer or player, which is really, you know, the consumer in terms of a, a metaversal kind of definition of things how do we allow them to plug in at any time into this ecosystem this market this protocol this infrastructure layer and actually create value for themselves and it it really comes back to um I guess drawing analogy, which I, I love to kind of describe as the the old Uber model, not so much as what it is today, but where the kind of great innovation with Uber was all about. Well, it allowed people to plug in at any time and access freedom. It you know unlocking from this usual nine to five schedules or having to kind of go through this certain track in order to be able to earn value for themselves. Drivers could be at two a.m. in the middle of the night and just open this app, flick on a switch in in kind of or a, a button on their phone. And then um, access this entire global market. And it's the same thing that Web3 allows you to do. But really where we're wanting to build on the infrastructure of the digital fashion and metaverse layers is how can we do that through this whole ecosystem that we're building out? And this is where we launched ESPA, which is the very first um, casual esports platform. And it's completely decentralized and it allows for designers to make these amazing NFT skins. They're listed on our marketplace. Players come and they purchase them and they can take them into different content environments and we're really focused on the modding community and they plug in with us and as the players are playing in these games wearing our digital fashion items as kind of their identity and authentication um, it actually tracks scores for them and puts them on a a meta leaderboard that then they can start um, earning winning streaks and actually getting paid out for that in crypto uh, in our native tokens so yeah that's there's actually a lot more to what we're doing but that's the the broader compass so kind of stop there and um, yeah we can go from there. Yeah, no, I I think that's super cool. And I I think that for anybody listening who is into gaming or esports or things like that, I think this makes is going to make perfect sense to them. But I think for everybody else who maybe, you know, is just starting to get into the space, maybe through NFTs or just discovering this within the last few months, I, I think the whole concept of digital fashion is maybe still a little bit Uh, above their heads. And so moving beyond just the use case of, you know, gaming and esports, how do you see digital fashion being used, like, let's say in 10 years? And, you know, maybe maybe start with like, how do you explain what the metaverse is and um, all the components of that, like really break it down for people and, and try to conceptualize for them how digital fashion actually will fit into all of our lives in in the future? Sure. 
Um, yeah, and it's a great question because this is actually really what made me so excited about the um, kind of the industry and wanting to start Digital X because when I came across digital fashion and just looking at where we're going, I mean, if you look at 20 years ago, the internet was, you know, in its very, very early stages, it hardly existed. And if you told people in 1999, oh, in, you know, 15 or 20 years, you're going to be feel comfortable posting a photo of yourself, possibly at the beach, you know, half naked, and then post this online, and people are going to tap, like double tap that and um, put love hearts on it, people would have said, no way, that's absolutely crazy. And now that's Instagram, that's Facebook, that's um, Twitter, it's all the social media apps today. And so it's the same thing with the metaverse, when we think about, okay, what that is, or what is 10 years from now, well, it's kind of this next stage of the internet, where right now, you know, we have it kind of through a UI on our laptop or our phone. Um, Imagine that being completely immersive, where the kind of barriers between your physical environment and where you're existing today, and then this like digital, completely immersive environment don't really exist. And you can kind of transition between these two different realities at the same time, or or more than two realities, it will be multidimensional. That really is what the metaverse is. It's about creating this multidimensional immersive space that is a kind of hybrid digital physical Um, definitely, you know, a a strong weight on the digital, but hybrid kind of digital physical um, environment. And when you think about that, and then you think about, okay, well, what right now, what industry or what kind of um, interactions do we have on a day-to-day basis with maybe different objects or or utility items? Well, fashion is so completely ubiquitous that in in fact, it's the, you know, it's the fundamental bedrock and it's been around for thousands of years and it's kind of underwritten all of our interactions within society, whether that comes down to status, whether that comes down to self-expression, how we actually show our our identities and um, human nature doesn't change. And so in 10 years time, even when we think about this, you know, metaverse immersive reality, a lot of people could think, okay, it might be this dystopia where we're all like robots, you know, marching around. Um, kind of like a Ready Player One or, or iRobot situation, but it's really not the case. Uh, it will be, you know, incredibly modded in a sense when it comes to the different colors, the different materials, the different textures used. And I don't just mean from a fashion sense, but I mean, you know, um, very holistically. So within that, we will want to self-express. We want to show our identities. We want to have kind of um, our, yeah, human nature um, running through that. And, and that's very much executed and communicated through our fashion. I mean, even today, um, whether, you know, we kind of get up and a lot of us maybe don't put work into, into how we dress or we do, it, it's still underwriting our identities. And a digital identity or a metaversal identity will require fashion for that self-expression layer. Um, the, the fashion layer will, will be a value exchange layer. And so what how people can kind of think about digital fashion is exactly the same how we use it today. But in, in terms of self-expression, in terms of kind of communicating different ideas and, and really adding into our own identities um, within the metaverse and this hybrid digital physical dimensions. But what they can also think about is that instead of it just being more of this cosmetic, I guess, relationship, which although it does have utility in terms, you know, we, we use it to kind of keep ourselves warm or, or you know, um, moderate other parts of our, our bodies, it will be even more functional in terms of there'll be actual utility that can be directly encoded and programmed into the digital fashion, which might even affect, okay, how we actually get access to something within this immersive realm or how we can kind of be um, seen, you know, by others or, or maybe that's something even, um, you know, going down a complete rabbit hole of like this idea of shape-shifting, how we can actually move between different digital identities from being seen as, you know, maybe a human form into something else. 
um, it will really be like a second skin and a highly functional and um, yeah, utility driven second skin as well. So hopefully that maybe brought it down or, or maybe it just confused everyone more. Oh, I, I think that's great. And I mean, I think everybody has had to make an avatar at some point, even if you're just playing like Nintendo Wii or something, you have to create your own character, you get to choose, you know, what what kind of hair your character has, what the facial features look like, and you try to make a character that looks as much like yourself as possible. And then you put some clothes on them. But one thing I've noticed, at least is whenever I've played any of these games or had to create an avatar, there's very limited options when it comes to the clothing choices. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll pick this. I mean, this is not something I would ever wear and this looks nothing like me, but this is the closest I can get. So uh, I definitely think that. And then another thing that I just wanted to say too is like, I know something I think about at least and probably a lot of people do is um, there's already a lot of feedback today about how, you know, we all spend way too much time in front of the screens and parents have this issue with their kids, like spending too much time in front of the screens. And why don't kids just go outside and play soccer like back in the old days or whatever? I think, too, like there's a stereotype with people that are into, you know, online gaming and into the metaverse, at least like today or in the past, that there's sort of just these like antisocial people that hide in their basements and play these games like with a headset on all day. But one thing that I was thinking about recently is just like thinking back to the last year during COVID and how much time, you know, we spent on Zoom, maybe not not only for work, but also f- with our friends because we couldn't even leave the house to see our friends uh, for a lot of people. And so for many months, we were just sitting in front of Zoom talking with our friends and, you know, maybe trying to like play some online games if we could like try to normalize things as much as possible. But then I imagine if, you know, this happened 10 or 20 years down the line when the metaverse was, is, you know, more mainstream and we all have these like VR headsets on with these like fully developed avatars and it feels more like you're all sitting in the same place, like sitting in the same bar or sitting in your apartment chatting. It just feels so much more natural and real than staring at a zoom screen and looking at everybody and everyone's talking over each other and it feels a little awkward i just wanted to say you know like with the metaverse i think i i'm very excited to see a lot of these stereotypes being broken about like who are the people that hang out in the metaverse and engage in these things because i i think it will become mainstream one day well, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely inevitable. And maybe a point to that. I mean, that's the interesting thing is that the metaverse, I mean, this era of like gaming in isolation, that's really not so much there anymore. And the metaverse isn't about gaming in isolation. It's not about, you know, going into that, you know, stereotypical kind of basement in the dark and then just like playing in a console. Um, it's really about more of an immersive social network. And that that's kind of what it can be thought of. You know, it's it's about going, you know, to maybe to dates or to events or, or concerts, you know, it's, it's a completely immersive experiences where the connections that you actually make within this metaversal realm are so much more important than just kind of achieving maybe a direct mission, like what we have this idea with gaming now, which is really, it's, it's a ready set piece of material that um, is crafted ahead of time. And then you go in, you play for a set number of hours, and um, then you leave it on a shelf. That's really not what the metaverse is all about. It's about having that seamlessness of immersivity between um, how we kind of view social interactions today and then within that, that digital realm. And really just what the digital realm allows, it allows for geographic 
barriers to be broken down absolutely completely. Um, your actual physical location is very much detached now from what you're experiencing within your reality, um, which is something pretty amazing when you think about that. And, and that itself, in terms of like democratizing access to experiences and just the way people in the future will have more opportunities to live their lives and flexibility around that, that's pretty amazing because right now, you know, if you think about where we're born, um, geographically in the world, that determines almost even 80, 80 to 90% of how we'll, we'll be in the future or, or what our lives will look like. So um, the metaverse is also about, and this is why I guess Web3 is so important that a metaverse that is built around a Web3 you know, environment and layer is super important because the metaverse should all be about you know decreasing wars, decreasing gatekeepers, um, walled gardens. And if we have that in a, a Web2 environment where there's these heavy choke points, it won't be this open kind of experience that we're all expecting. Yeah. And so going back to Digital Acts, what has your experience been so far with getting both, you know, um, customers like people using your platform and also designers? Are, are you looking pretty much exclusively for blockchain art designers or are you sort of approaching like traditional fashion designers and having to convince them that, you know, <laughs> uh, Web3 is the future and educate them on all of this? Like, what does that look like? Very good question. Um, so I can tell you there is no blockchain fashion designers out there. And when I started um, this all in September, no one had really heard about the intersection of, of digital fashion and blockchain. It just really was not talked about because there was a few small things that had been done in the past, but it was never from the approach of really what we took of actually scaling an entire ecosystem and really putting in the groundwork and going back to base principles to build out the infrastructure and the protocol layers, which is super important. Yeah, it, it was all, you know, web to traditional designers. And, and in a sense, and even now, you know, a digital fashion designer is very much on the cusp and the bleeding edge within the, the traditional fashion industry, where it's more, you know, it's still the physical fashion supply chain that that dominates. Um, so even there are more of the edge. And then when you subset into NFT crypto blockchain fashion that even gets you know absolutely smaller but it's you know growing absolutely exponentially because now people are realizing that well digital fashion is the future and it cannot actually operate within a web 2 environment it just doesn't work there's no value layer there there's no way to actually underwrite the exchange even between the items and so nfts is the scalable distribution channel for digital fashion itself and then um, also even this hybrid digital physical fashion realms which is very much kind of a, another unique area um, so in terms of the way that we work because we are an ecosystem it really isn't siloing it to one subsector i mean at the moment our main stakeholders we definitely have a large digital fashion designer network and group and it's not um again digital x isn't a a brand per se, where it's like, where they come on board, um, they're operating only under Digital X. They're really, it's about putting this entire network and this entire open source network where designers are able to plug in and then they can create designs and they can kind of use our um, infrastructure, our kind of aqueducts that we're building to um, strategically, in a sense, or very specifically route that, that water or their kind of value and their designs into the right ecosystem that then generates more liquidity, not just for them, but also the other stakeholders, which is very much the developer side. Um, and that we're really pushing on and focused on the modding community and super supportive of that because um, there's so many more undertones about how they enable um, open source, how they're really built for breaking down gatekeepers and being more of a, a gate maker community. And then also a player base as well. But when I say a player base, I really don't mean like kind of what you're saying before, the stereotypical 
player that we all assume now. I, I mean more of this metaversal player, which is all of us. It's all of us that are interacting online now, even within just the internet and web two um, as consumers. But the difference within our ecosystem or a web three ecosystem even as such is that a player isn't just an end consumer where value is extracted from. Actually, they're giving value back to the system um, and they're able to generate value for themselves. And this is really where Esper and the whole kind of environment that we're building there, it allows these players or really any of us to plug in and kind of engage in these immersive digital experiences and then actually generate an income or a livelihood from that as well. Yeah, I guess that's the the more encompassing version of the, the stakeholder ecosystem that we're building out. Then what about from the user side right now? Who's mostly using digital apps right now? Is it mostly like blockchain gamers, uh, people into esports, or are you seeing people from the broader NFT community hopping on board? Yeah, really good question. So I guess we have again a few um, subsets to even like kind of our, our quote unquote products and services. Within the digital X marketplace, and especially at the start, this was really focused on the more cosmetic side. And so there we had a really strong NFT collectible um, base that we're, you know, super interested in. Okay. What is digital fashion and how does this even cross over with DeFi? Where we had these staking functionalities as well with these NFTs. And then when we, when we launched Esper, uh, we weren't focused on blockchain gaming because again, I believe that that's like the wrong kind of subset in saying, well, we've, it's just got to be blockchain gamers, which again, the blockchain gaming community, it's very still in its, um, you know, I guess early stages. And a lot of those games are focused more on flip you know, flip card kind of collectibles or trading games. It's not really what we think about in terms of gaming and having, you know, an immersive digital um, identity and experience. So we're, we're focused very much on what we, we have built up, um, very strong roots now within the, the modding community and the, the traditional, I guess, player base itself, because that's also all of this. It's about a mass onboarding event, in a sense, into crypto. It's that not just us going out and saying, okay, well, how can we just help our own, project grow, but how can we actually um, bring these 2.7 billion gamers globally into crypto so they can actually start unlocking more value for themselves? And gaming is one of the strongest channels to do that just because the on-ramp and um, heuristics of a gamer in terms of understanding, going on this kind of quest or this mission to understand what crypto is and how that lives within a Web3 or gaming lives within a Web3 environment. It's, yeah, I guess easier than um, trying to onboard people into, say, DeFi and, and you know, all these kind of cross-chain um, events there. So it's really that side. But more so than that, it, it's about, I guess, everyone. And I don't, I don't mean that to kind of, yeah, be too blasé, but the metaverse is, it, it's all of us. It's everyone that interacts with the internet today and, and more so. And that's really what we're doing as well. It's about building those infrastructure layers. And we are, we have other parts, like, for example, actually, we just announced yesterday that we're releasing the first metaverse-focused magazine with decentralized NFT subscription unlocks where we're bringing together a lot of top voices and creators in the space for this completely kind of immersive uh, digital magazine that we've engineered and built and created all in-house. And then we're highlighting all these voices where they can also use as a new distribution channel um, through a new publishing model that we're bringing forth through NFT-based kind of decentralized subscriptions. So the magazine is free, but people can subscribe to these different content within um, so that's super exciting as well. And when you think about that, well, that kind of um, the consumer there is, you know, not just within Web3, but it's very much targeting those who don't know about the space and are onboarding and learning where they go to actually get the right insights and um, the, the right on-ramps into this whole crazy environment. So that as well. Also within that, we have a very technical part of our ecosystem where we're building out a Dash 
engineering file format and that's really then targeted a whole nother sector and then we also have another part called Pode which is really about tackling a web3 version of Steam and itch.io which is this whole gaming um, distribution platform so I won't go into to all the details because we could be here forever but yeah it's all encompassing we're, we're really the infrastructure and the ecosystem layer. Oh, that's super awesome. Congrats on launching all of those things. I think the magazine in particular, I mean, um, that's something that I can wrap my head around a little better than the others. But I think that'll be a really good way of, like you said, onboarding the mainstream into this. And I I really think digital fashion is going to be a great uh, medium to onboard people. I think that's like something that everybody who works in crypto right now is thinking about is how do we onboard the masses onto Web3? And that's why I love seeing projects like yours that are catering to different audiences, you know, like you're catering to the digital fashion audience. And I can totally see eventually, you know, that like young girls or people in general that are really into fashion are going to hear about this and think like, oh, wow, like I can create this character on the metaverse that is like so stylish and like exactly like who I want to portray myself to be and start to build clout on the metaverse and do all these cool things that they can do in real life. But you know, just to a broader audience, like, in, like you said, in real life, you can only meet and you can only speak and hang out with so many people within your geographic community. But the metaverse really opens up the doors to, you know, like, I, I could have met you when you were in Australia still, even though we're <laughs> on the opposite sides of the world. So uh, when you look ahead to maybe the next year, like thinking about the broader um, I guess the broader ecosystem involving like metaverse projects, NFT projects, all of this, what aspects of those of that space do you see moving like super fast or developing next? Um, and I sort of think of it as like right now, like the big thing is NFT art. And even though, you know, we know that NFT is so much more than just art, like that's sort of the use case that just blew up and that everybody seems to understand now. What do you see as being the next thing, you know, maybe in the next year? And then also, like, how do you see this space looking in like 10 years? Uh, Yeah. Okay, great. And this is not just me coming from like a a biased viewpoint of of building this area, but I, I really do believe that these like subsets of digital fashion and the metaverse are kind of the next wave in a sense in the space of interest adoption um whatever you want to call it or or, you know just projects coming in and absolutely building um you know crazy new things out which is, is super exciting and i'm super excited to see as well what that will actually look like and that just comes from being in the space and you know you can kind of sense where the shifts are going and then um also like you said i guess nft art it was this first use case and it was a great way of kind of not only just promoting creators throughout and unlocking for so many, you know, creators globally, wow, I don't have to actually go through this middleman route anymore that I thought was the only way to create a livelihood with something that I I love and my passion and my talent. Now I can just access this entire market without even having to worry about that. So I think that that was a great and amazing kind of onboarding um, route as well and and kind of a launch of of NFTs into um, more the masses. But as you said, there is so much more to NFTs than just that. And this is why when anyone kind of says, oh, well, it's the NFT bubble, I really disagree because um, if you actually, you know, just look, you know, below that surface layer and you just understand even the very basics of the tech or some of these utility and these application levels, you see that there can never actually be an oversupply. It's like when we think about the internet today, we never think, oh, another website going up is an oversupply. We just think that that's actually contributing to a broader content base out there that is going to create value in some way. So it's the same thing that we see here is that 
uh, NFTs and kind of, yeah, really fleshing out these utility use cases, which the metaverse and how that relates there into kind of ownership and access, um, which are huge ones, uh, really big use cases that I think will, will play out. Yeah, just, just move forward. And that also comes back into digital fashion and how that relates in itself with people being able to, like you said, you know, own these digital fashion items um, and have kind of a transparent and immutable record behind that. And that's a great thing because definitely um, it's a, a much kind of easier conceptualization when we think visually, okay, what is the metaverse? Because asking a what for something is incredibly hard. Like even if we say now, like, what is the internet? I, you know, 95, even more, 99% of people can't go into details about, oh, right, well, it's, you know, this kind of communication layer here, and then it's all of this. Um, but what we can say, we can say, who is the metaverse? Or we can visual, I mean, sorry, not the metaverse, who is the internet? And we can visualize what the internet is and how we interact with it. And so I think that that's what the metaverse and digital fashion will do to NFTs. It will put a who behind it and put a who behind NFTs and what that actually means and how it can create value to people rather than just a what. And a really quick story to that is, and I, I always believe that is, um, if it's not actually, you know, specifically creating value to people, and I know this has been said since kind of 2017 with that whole ICO craze and everything, it was like, well, you know, why is there so much emphasis on people, you know, explaining, well, I'm building on blockchain if, you know, the user shouldn't even have to know in a sense that blockchain is behind it, um, which I kind of agree and, and disagree at the same time. I think that the educational part of Web3 and just what that is, breaking down from like a gatekeeper perspective is so amazing that it should be reinforced but also at the same time a user shouldn't have to really know it's like we don't really need to know what's going on behind our, our ui on a computer screen to understand what value it's actually bringing us and it's the same thing here and, and when i launched it to uh, with all these fashion designers i didn't even tell them that it was going to be on ethereum and that they were going to be auctioned off with crypto i didn't even bother i didn't even really bother saying what nfts were i just mentioned that it was a you know, kind of a digital certificate online that guaranteed ownership for a, for a buyer. And it was a really kind of unique thing um, and kept it very high level and abstract because it didn't matter to them. And then as soon as the first auction rolled out and they got this, you know, amazing experience of value generation, just understanding what the heck this community is, they went and did their own research. And now they're completely, all of them are down the rabbit hole with Ethereum and crypto and interacting with the community because the first point was just getting them to see, well, how is this actually affecting me? And as soon as they got some value, everything else, you know, made sense and, and locked into place. So it's the, the same thing I think that we will um, need to do for this to actually achieve mass adoption. For sure. And then if you could pick yourself up and put yourself 10 years into the future, what do you see around you? Like, how do you see people interacting with NFTs, with the metaverse? Paint that picture for me. Sure. I just believe it will be completely ubiquitous and seamless. So, you know, whether that's like how we're talking now, it's on a Zoom call. Well, maybe that would be something, you know, completely digitally immersive where we do have this digital avatar and we're able to even, um, as we're speaking, discover a, a lost empire or something like this. Uh, yeah, definitely kind of this whole seamless breaking down of barriers, even think of it like a portal in a sense where you can go into different realities, like even a tesseract, if people are aware, that is you can imagine that interstellar scene um, in space, these completely different like multidimensional, multi-realities and, and realms at the same time where we can exist and we can move fluidly between different identities, different environments, different experiences. Um, and how NFTs really fit into that, it will be how all of this content that we're experiencing, both from maybe it is an actual real world perspective and then also completely digital immersive and hybrid kind of AR as well. NFTs will be kind of the, I guess, value 
captures in a sense for all of that content. It will define, well, what is what is that value worth? What is that content actually worth? And then how do we actually use that? What is the application? What, how is that actually defined? And how is that translated between maybe this purely immersive and digital world and then also maybe this physical world or the, the hybrid in between? So it, we won't even really think of it as NFTs. It would just be the mechanism where we're able to identify transparently, okay, you own that and you don't own that on a you know complete kind of global ledger. Yeah, for sure. I, I was picturing us like 10 years down the line with our VR headsets on sitting together in, you know, what looks like a, an in-person recording studio. But I like your example even better of like, let's just pick like a, an undiscovered magical land and go for a walk there as we podcast together. That sounds even more fun. Yeah, there's actually, um I can't remember the name now, um, but there's a really cool like it's actually a podcast, but it's done. You might know it's on Netflix. I've seen like only a few episodes, but it's a podcast. Um, but it's like done as like an animation. So it's like, say, for example, we just be talking, but then our whole thing is like animated. It sees people walk, walking through different worlds and um, the actual podcast host, he like lives in space and he chimes into these different worlds to actually interview different people. So it could be something literally exactly like that where, you know, Unstoppable Domains podcast, it's like you go into these different planets or worlds um, to interview like interesting people that are living there. Um, I, I really believe that that could be the case. That is so cool. I'll have to check that out. I haven't heard about that, but if it's on Netflix, I'm definitely checking that out. Yeah, I'll get the Super name cool. for you. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Uh, so last thing about Digital Lack. So I know you just said a bunch of things that you guys just launched, but looking ahead to the rest of this year or in the next year, what are some other big things that you guys have planned that you're able to share with our listeners? Um, by the way, just remember, it's the Midnight Gospel. Midnight Gospel. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so what do we have planned? Um, well, a lot. Something that is really interesting that DigitalX focuses on that I think a lot of projects don't out there, particularly in like the NFT digital fashion kind of crossover space, is that we focus a lot on engineering. And my background um, myself is science, um, mechanical space engineering. And um, so I, I've always, you know, really prized that. But we have a full in-house um, engineering team and they're absolute champions. We've actually done some pretty amazing innovation within the space just within kind of the past five months. I mean, we deployed the first ERC-998 variant standard for this fractional garment supply chain, which exists both on um, Polygon, Matic Network, and then also Ethereum. We also launched this ESPA, which is the first. It's a hybrid on and off chain um, esports ecosystem. So we actually have on-chain components that communicate with our off-chain data as well and that whole um, system. And then really excitingly, which was only about two weeks ago, we deployed the very first ever multi-token bridge between Polygon Matic Network and um, Ethereum, which allows users to actually bridge these ERC-998, um, 721, 1155 bundles cross-chain, which was a huge engineering feat. And, and everything we do is completely open source to the community. And we really maintain that as a core value. I guess, yeah, leading on from that, another big part of our ecosystem, we actually, we are building out a new file format. It's called Dash and it's a file format built for the metaverse because when we talk about seamless digital experiences, what we often forget is that um, technically that cannot really be done at the moment. You can't just kind of go within one environment like Fortnite and then take that content or your identity and just drag it into GTA and expect it everything to not explode and, and blow up. Um, the physics, the game engines, it, it's just not interoperable. It's not cross-compatible. And so what we're actually building out is the very first dynamic file format that is able to understand or gain um, insight from the application layer itself 
when the, the file is being developed or transformed without kind of getting too technical, but opinionated logic on where it's going. And so the content can actually be deployed across multiple um, 3D and immersive environments. And this is something super exciting. So it's kind of like, I guess, one of our wild cards that we're not just innovating on, on all of these kind of, I guess, business and commercial use cases, but we're really focused on how can we actually build the underlying technology to enable all of this to happen. We like to keep all of that, you know, very much in terms of us pioneering that in-house because it just fits into everything else. But we um, are really ensuring that Web3 open source are very much at the core so a whole developer ecosystem can be built around this and then, um, yeah, take it to the completely next level. So that's something really exciting as well. That's awesome. I'm not going to lie. Most of that went right over my head as a non-technical person, but I'm sure for people listening who are technical, all of that was very exciting stuff. Um, so, okay, before we go into our next segment, which is called Explain Your Tweet, where I pull some tweets from your Twitter account and give you a chance to explain them. Quick question from our from the Twitterverse. Uh, Mason Nystrom wanted to know, how do you view the relationship between open source games slash virtual worlds and IP? I know this is this has been a huge question with the rise of NFTs is everybody wants to know how IP fits into that. So what are your thoughts? Really good question. I would say even the Epic and Apple debate at the moment, um, which is highly relevant. That's all about, you know, kind of IP and, and World Gardens and um, how that fits within Tim Sweeney's version of a metaverse and, and all these kind of things. So my really strong view is that it has to be, the metaverse has to be completely open. And when I mean open, I, I mean open source and I mean IP kind of copyright. It's not in the same way that it exists at the moment where it's these, as I was you know, mentioning, these kind of centralized providers coming in as these gatekeepers and saying, well, this is what you can and can't do with this content. And this is why modding culture and modding itself is extremely interesting and why we're really um, focused on that and, and pioneering that forth with from a gaming and a fashion front. And for those that don't really know what modding is, it's all about how you can break, you know, an original kind of item into its different components and then reassemble it into something completely new. So although maybe you've taken IP or, or that of something of, of someone else's design, when you're actually breaking that down, those copyright quote-unquote walls are also breaking down with it because you are creating new novelty, which is new value for a whole new um, different user base or, or just consumer base as well. And when it comes to the metaverse, modding and this idea of being able to take content, remix it, move it into something else to create new novelty and value is completely ubiquitous and important for that. Because even if we think about everything today, um, all of our content, it's just mods of something else. Nothing is really completely novel. It's really just building on other things. I mean, the only true novel things is like the periodic table or quarks and gluons if we go like down, you know, even further below an atomic level. But I won't go into that. So yeah, it's that's a really important question. But what I would say is what NFTs allows for is instead of today, and I guess this is the reason why as well within Web2, that it incentivizes such an extractive model and for these centralized providers, because if you don't have kind of these choke points and all of these different um, exchange points, the, the original providers or you know creators, they will lose value and they will lose time and effort that they put in. But what NFTs allows from this Web3 decentralized infrastructure, because of the you know, when we think about it really scaling out to the future and having that full on-chain transparency and immutability, which a lot of people talk about with this royalty distribution of NFTs is, well, imagine if you can be an original creator and then it doesn't matter if people take your content or remix it or put it into something else like what we're doing with fractional garment ownership because um, you can actually track that on-chain and there can be a royalty split or, you know, a kind of kickback to the original creators across that whole supply chain. So that's something incredibly unique 
and values and where I think that NFTs and Web3, it's it doesn't really place emphasis anymore on IP or copyright. And for the metaverse to really exist and for all of us to gain the value and the opportunity that we deserve out of it, it cannot be a centralized control or even a Web2 provider coming in, say like even Epic, and building out this metaverse where they think that they can be the underlying infrastructure. It has to operate um, from the same authenticity that Ethereum operates today, where it is truly a decentralized developer ecosystem and anyone can come in and create value in, in any way they want. So yeah, they're my comments on, on that. Okay, cool. So for this next segment, uh, we have explain your tweet. So in the interest of time, I'm just going to pull one tweet real quick, but you do have a lot of good stuff out there. So I would encourage people to go check it out. But this is a pretty recent tweet. It's from May 8th. You said, as important as it is to make money, if the only reason you are here is to make money, then this is not the right place for you. We are here to build out the infrastructure needed to entirely replace existing extractive economic models. Whether you believe that is possible, we do. I think we sort of talked about that um, a little bit in our conversation, but do you want to talk a little bit more, especially for the people out there who, you know, I, I think the biggest recent thing is like, Dogecoin and with the SNL skin and everybody's talking about that. And it seems like everybody is like, a lot of people at least are equating crypto with just like making the quick buck, like finding the the coins that are going to give you a quick like pump and dump turnover, like Dogecoin, for instance, um, and doing that sort of thing. Or, you know, these NFT artists like thinking that, you know, they can get rich off of this and not really seeing the bigger picture of like, what are we trying to accomplish here? Um, so you want to talk more about that? Yeah, no, and, and it's really true. I mean, that was really my point. It's it's not about um, saying that, you know, making money in a sense is a bad thing because it's definitely not. And um, I don't think anyone should be a stoic and, and kind of say, oh, well, we're just going to, you know, create value and then just give it away. Um, it really it shouldn't work like that because we all need to survive. We need to live. We need to enjoy our lives. Crypto is definitely a way to financial freedom for a lot of people. But really, my point there was like what you mentioned, it's, it's more about the bigger picture, which I think is super important when we're building in this space, because we are at such an early stage, having the right kind of mindset coming in and then the right people at the forefront actually building out, particularly the infrastructure side of things and, and pioneering on that bleeding edge. The motivation can't just be money because that just doesn't make sense. Not only does it just um, reinforce the wrong heuristic and um, I guess the, the mindset and mode of building, but more than that, there's so much then that would be missed because... We are in such yeah a stage where, you, you like you said, you, we cannot even sometimes even conceptualize, okay, what will be the next three years? What will be the next five years? What will be the next 10 years? And if the motivation there is just to make money, then the, the route that we take um, is going to be very narrow-minded and it's going to miss out on so much good stuff that we know that Web3 can actually enable. So really, that was the point there. And I guess that's just, it's even what I tell, um, you know, Digital X, we recently expanded our team. And um, whenever I bring on new team members, it's not like kind of just a, a random thing where we say, okay, this person comes on here. It, it's a long process. And I put a lot of kind of thought into, well, if we're actually bringing on these people, do they represent the right voice of Digital X? But more than that, do they actually get the bigger picture that what we're building? And do they have kind of this more intrinsic calling to, and not to sound kind of cheesy, but more intrinsic calling to be like, well, even if the money side wasn't there, because, you know, it shouldn't really be treated. And, and that's just the type of project we are. It's not about being a nine to five job or people come in and they kind of get by with it. It's really about being a strong risk taker in this space and taking that leap of faith to move forward and climb mountains that no one's ever climbed before. 
um, which is something really important, interesting as well, because that's a, it's a easy to say, but to live it and to really do it um, is a completely different thing. And I know because even building in crypto and Web3, it's incredibly hard. It's not like a normal startup where you can kind of just go away and, and hide behind a bit and then you come back out and you release something. Um, in crypto and Web3, you're considered guilty first until you're actually proven innocent. And um, you have to kind of be very transparent things. At least that's how we hold with our standards and values to, to maintain that transparency. So having the right mindset of, okay, you know, again, it's not being a stoic, but it is knowing that there's a much bigger revolution and mission here that we're, we're playing at and that can change the lives of millions of people globally, billions of people globally and bring them immense value. That should always be the overriding factor, what, what I believe anyway. Um, it shouldn't be kind of narrowed down into these minute English words or definitions or just financial gains of, um, yeah, pumps and dumps. And this is kind of why as well we build on Ethereum as a project and we maintain um, a lot of that focus on staying decentralized and staying true to really what Web3 is, why we haven't accepted any VC money in the past, why we've kept it very crypto native, why we also, um, you know, don't kind of go and integrate even with centralized exchanges or we don't go and say and build on like other layer twos, like even Binance Smart Chain or, or Flow, because that's still, I believe it's reinforcing the wrong um, parts of the mission. If we're really saying, and if we're going out there and we're saying, well, we want to pioneer Web3 and we want to do decentralization, have it the right way, then you have to live at least a large majority of that. You can't just write it in a tweet or a blog post or promote it. Um, you've really got to make sure that it's done the right way. So that's kind of, yeah, what more of the, the in-depth of what that was saying. Yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. And I would encourage especially newcomers to the space to really take the time to learn about Web3 and what uh, that actually encompasses and what that can mean for our future instead of just, you know, following the hype train of whatever is trending on Twitter at the moment. All right. Well, thank you so much, Emma Jane, for being here. Really enjoyed our conversation. Before you go, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally, and then also how they can learn about more about DigitalX or how they can sign up and actually you know, start using the, the digital fashion NFTs that you guys have. Sure. Um, so the website is um, our main one, which is www.digitalx.xyz. And then um, on that, you'll find all of our social channels where our Discord group is really um, where we kind of have the most of our community there. So I'd say definitely join that because we like release all of our announcements across everything, our Medium, Twitters, Telegram, but Discord really is the, the bigger platform. And we also have two Discords. We have one for DigitalX and also one for Espa um, to kind of, we have a lot of craziness in, in games and like tournaments running in Espa. So we just keep that split. And then personally myself, if you go into the Discord, you can see me there as one of the moderators. So you can feel free to just private message me or um, tag me in and message me in the group, which is great as well, or on Twitter too. So I, I'm Twitter, I'm Emma Jane 13. Um, I think that's right. Or maybe I'm 13, 13. I think you're you're thirteen thirteen. Emma Jane thirteen thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. So um yeah, feel free to also um interact with me on that. Awesome. Well thank you so much, Emma Jane. I'm definitely gonna join the Discord group and check out the Netflix, the Midnight Gospel as well that is already queued up. I really cannot wait to see where Digital X goes and uh, can't wait to check out your products as well and you know get myself some awesome swag in the metaverse. Thank you so All much. Right. Thanks so much for being here and thank you listeners for tuning in as always. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. 
If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.